Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for being with the Botker family and the Kelly family, Lord, and that little man that just come into this world, steal. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless that family's life, bless his life to, to an abundance, Lord. And we just uh, pray that they, they have a wonderful time together and enjoy the 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 family unit as it comes together at a great time in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Jonah today. This is where we left off the last time. Uh, We went to chapters 1 and 2 previously. Um, Let me get that down there. And we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4 today. So, uh, But first of all, Pastor Bill uh, texted me a note that said, uh, tomorrow's Veterans Day. So I wanted to uh, recognize all the veterans in here today. So if you would, if you're a veteran of any of the services, um, why don't you just stand up where you are, and we'll, uh, we'll recognize you all. All right. Thank you, guys. Every generation has soldiers, it seems, and they all seem to be a band of brothers. You know, no matter what war, what event you were in in the service, when you get together with any group of, of servicemen, it seems like the, you know each other. It doesn't matter if one's 70 and one's 20. You know, it's just the way it works. So... Um, so, let's have a little review for a minute. We'll go through just a couple of things. Um, in chapter 1, we found that Jonah was running from the Lord. Chapter 2, we found out that Jonah is running to God after he went down into the ocean, into the, the fish, into the belly of the fish. He kept on going down. That was a key word. And in chapter 3, we're going to see Jonah is running with God. After he repented, after he prayed, God is going to give him a call again. And in chapter 4, uh, Jonah is running ahead of God. Still has a little bit of a problem. Still has to work it out. Um, so once he started running from God, he was on his way down. And um, there's a good verse that talks about how far you can get away from God. And that's expressed by King David in the Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you guys. Psalm 139, 7. Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, like Jonah did, Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. What does that say? There isn't a place that you can run away from God. But we all try it once in a while, you know. I found a place that God can't see me, you know. (laughs) Wrong answer. Um, Jonah's path downward went into way down. I don't know how far the fish went down, but the fish was in water. He's in the belly of of the fish. Three days and three nights. And then he began to pray and repent. So he was kind of a stubborn guy. You know, three days in that atmosphere, and we talked about that before, 
It's got to be unbelievable. You know, it's dark, you can't see anything. You know you're moving, but you don't know where you're going. You can hear the gurgling of the digestive system, and you're praying like, man, I hope that doesn't eat me up. Um, And then he repented, and he said, Lord, I have this prayer. His prayer was a great prayer. It was a psalm-like prayer. It was from his heart. And God heard his prayer and released him. And uh, the fish was going in the right direction. The fish was heading towards whatever direction Nineveh was. And then he vomited him. It's kind of a gross thing to think about. But he vomits him up on the shore somewhere that he can get to Nineveh. That would have been a sight to see. would have been interesting if you were out there watching, see this fish come up. And there's this guy. Imagine what he looked like. No, he couldn't. And he doesn't. We don't see in the Bible here where he changes his clothes, takes a shower, or does anything before he starts out to Nineveh. But from there, he began his journey to Nineveh. He was going in the right direction. So Jonah was done running from the Lord. And the question before we get into chapter 3 that I thought about was, have any of us run from God? Are we presently running from God? Um, I know I have. I've run and I've run. My place to run was the desert. I picked a place, Agua Caliente State Park. It has a campground. I don't know if you guys have been out there. It's, um, it's nice. You know, you can go in the hot springs and the outdoor springs and all of that. Because I felt I didn't need a church or a fellowship. Uh, to be connected to the Lord. And uh, so I would get in my car on Sunday and head for the hot springs. Get up like I was going to church. Instead, head um, east, right? And and go out there. I always had my Bible to read. Um, had time for prayer. Uh, quite often I had elements for communion, namely some kind of a cracker or bread and juice, you know, whatever it was. So I could do all of this. Even though I was running away from the Lord, he never forgot me. Because the one thing I couldn't do was fellowship. And the four tenets of the first century church, I just named three of them, the fourth one is fellowship. That's what we're doing here today. We're in fellowship, communing with one another through talking, looking at the word, reading the word, singing songs, praise songs. And it really brings us closer to the Lord. And it's a time to see other people and get encouraged. You know, be encouraged. You know, if you're down, you can always pray with your brother or sister in the Lord here. And things work out pretty good. So the Lord sends messengers to people that are running away. Um, he sent some messengers to me. And they're kind of interesting people. The, the, one of them was the former biggest drug dealer in Ramona. And now he was on fire for Jesus. So when I met this guy, he was on fire. He was lit up. And the first time I met him, we were the only two at the springs that day. So God, you know, took all the distractions out of the way. And he did nothing but talk to me about Jesus. Jesus is this. Jesus is the greatest. I'm like, man, this guy's pretty cool. And uh, so we got to know each other, and we've seen each other many times since then. But there was a Christian couple on a three-month sabbatical to the desert. They camped out in a remote place near nobody else, and they went around to the different things during the day. They got up, went out there to get their marriage on track. 
And instead, they were ministering to me. You know, when I met them, I met them a couple of times, a couple of Sundays. And uh, they had great wisdom. I shared some things with them. But God was sending people and beginning to say, hey, come on back. So a couple who came from Calvary's Chapel, Irvine, another day, noticed the scar on my back through numerous surgeries I've had on my spine. And they ministered to me because his wife had surgery on her spine. And again, all the people were in the other half of the pool. It was only the three of us in the, in the other half. It was amazing. And they were great. And then there was this guy. This, this will be the last one. A Russian guy who spoke a hybrid language. It was Russian something else in some English. And I had to strain to listen to him and understand him. And he was there with his family. And he gave me the stories that a lot of people give. Remember the one about the man on the roof and the waters rising in the flood? And the boat comes along and the boat says, well, can I take you out of here? And the guy says, never mind, forget about it, I'll, I'll get out. And then a while later, a helicopter comes along and, you know, yells down to him, come on, you know, the water's rising. And the guy says, forget about it, I, I'll find my way out. So what happens is the guy gets overcome by the water. He drowns in the water. He ends up in heaven. And he asks God, why, why didn't you come and save me? And the Lord says, who do you think was in the boat and in the helicopter? <laughs> so that one really got to me. Um, these are only a few of the people the Lord sent to me, but these visits set me up for a phone call out of the blue. And I hadn't talked to this man in a couple of years. And uh, the reason I'm giving you the details of this is kind of so you can start thinking about if you are running from the Lord, what goes on, what to look for. Um, the Lord will be there. The Lord will tell you all sorts of things. Joe Foch, Calvary Chapel, Philly pastor, my pastor for 10 years. He um, called me on the phone. I was like, wow. Actually, he texted me. And we hadn't talked in about a couple of years. And he texted me and said, is this still you? In other words, is this number your number? And I texted him back. He said, yeah. So he immediately calls me and he says, hey, buddy, I was doing a sermon for tomorrow for the young people um, in the breakfast that I do on Saturday morning every other week for the men and women, young women and women, that I think have an opportunity for the ministry and I'm discipling them and seeing how we can bring them along. Of course, the food was great. And the, the guys get massive quantities of foods, therefore you get guys to come. And, um, but the, the topic he was preparing is kind of interesting. It was on the rapture of the church. That's why I wanted to know if I was still around. You know, did you get out of here before the rapture? Um, so he asked me some questions about how I was doing. And I didn't tell him the truth. I said, great, I'm doing great, Joe. And he knows I'm not doing great. So the call triggered me to look at myself and see where I was in my walk with the Lord. So I started coming back to a couple of churches in the year. I live in Santee. Um, so I went to Calvary Santee, and I know the pastor over there. And I started going on Wednesday nights. And um, do you remember the Kibbies? They used to be here. Um, they came by my work the night that I was going over there. And they were going there, and they were taking me there. And they had no idea 
of where I was as far as my walk with the Lord. That's another amazing thing. So I realized that I didn't have fellowship, so that was the moment I needed to seek a church and to seek the Lord and pray and ask him to lead me out of it, and that's how I ended up here. I did a recon mission two Sundays in a row. I was in recon in the Army. And uh, I went around the block. I pulled up. I'm checking the people at the door there, looking at them. You know, I saw, oh, there's a parking spot. I have my roller skate. So I got to figure out, can I get in there? Can I get out of there? I'm looking. I'm like, yeah, this looks pretty good. So the third Sunday, I came and I met Mark. Remember Mark? Perfect guy for me. No nonsense, straightforward. And um, it's worked out ever since. So my thing to you is, Wherever you are, if you are running from the Lord, repent, come back, because he'll bring you to the right place in the right time. So, Okay, so we're still not going to get into chapter 3 yet. I just want to look at one more thing. Uh, the power of prayer. Because we saw in chapter 2 that Jonah started praying, started repenting, and his prayer was going up to the Lord. And uh, the Lord listened to him, you know, it was over three days. I don't know if he prayed for three days. The Bible's not clear. But he was in the belly of the fish for three days. So um, in, the, in the word of God, and I was thinking about this, about our nation, our people, our country, and um, this verse came to me about prayer. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to read it. Uh, This is a conversation that the Lord had when he appeared to Solomon. And he was explaining things to Solomon. Solomon wanted to be great in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And he was just giving him different verses. So this verse is in in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you guys have all heard this before, I'm sure. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's a powerful verse. But he's talking to the people uh, related to Solomon in the line of Jesus at that time. All the way from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob um, to Judah. And then on down in the family to the line of David. And Solomon is the son of David. So... Keep this verse in mind. I'm not going to go into it right now, but we're going to reach chapter 3, and then we'll get back into this verse at the end of that. So keep, keep it in your mind as we go through uh, chapter 3, because we'll get back to it. Okay, let's start chapter 3 um, in Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, um, this shows this portion of this verse, because the, the second part is in, Verse 2 shows amazing love of God to his wayward people. Here's a guy called to be a prophet. The guy wanted to go his own way. He didn't want to follow what the Lord said. And he did everything that we've talked about in chapter 1 and 2. So now he's a wayward person, but God is coming back to him. And the message there is he'll come back to anybody. He'll come back to anybody. It doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter where you went. He will come back. He has compassion, love, long-suffering. So after Jonah repented, God is calling him again, offering a new beginning. It's the same call. 
It's a mandatory statement. And uh, God doesn't give up on reluctant people, people that don't want to go. If you're reluctant to go and, ah, I don't know if I should go here or go there. I don't know if I should follow the Lord. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. He doesn't give up on us. He, he doesn't give up on reluctant people. So in verse 2, he says, the Lord says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach it, the message that I tell you. The Lord's going to give him the words to say. He doesn't even have to think about that. So once again, Jonah gets the same command, and it is a direct command. It's an imperative statement. It says, go to Nineveh. And I think at this point in time, he's happy to go to Nineveh, at least somewhat. Um, so this is the same thing he gave him before, before he ran away. He tried to run as far away as he could, a couple thousand miles, to a place that we call Spain today. It's called Tarshish. So Jonah 3.3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He arose. He must have been sitting on the ground or laying on the ground or kind of maybe got knocked out when he got vomited up on the land. I don't know. Um, According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. There's a reason to say that. A three-day journey in extent, that's a pretty, pretty large place, a pretty long distance. So Jonah now obeys, and he's going to start his way to Nineveh. It says it was a three-day journey, probably meaning the time it would take to walk around the circumference of the city. And the Bible scholars say it was 60 miles around the circumference of the city. Have you ever walked 60 miles? Whew. That's got to be pretty good, especially after coming out of the belly of a, whale, of a fish. So Jonah now obeys the call to go to Nineveh. In verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is his evangelistic message. We know it is only one line. It's amazing, right? I mean, you think that it'd have a list like this or, or something more to say. But when the Lord speaks, he can speak in very limited ways as far as words. But the power of it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it can affect anything and anybody in a magnificent way. And this is going to affect a lot of people. There's, um, the, the scholars say there was probably like 800,000 people in that area at that time. There was a couple more cities attached to it and stuff like that. So one day he reached the city, or the outskirts of the city, or the circumference of the city he was walking in. His evangelical message was so simple. Um, the word overthrown uh, in this sentence is the same word that was applied to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we can maybe make an assumption here that the Lord was going to bring fire and brimstone upon that city also and destroy it. This is how God will judge the city. A one-line evangelical message, probably not uh, what it is, probably was more, but it's not here in the Bible, so we go with the one line. Um, you know, Billy Graham, great evangelist, Well, Greg Laurie from Calvary Chapel. These guys are all incredible. But you know, their message is simple. You don't go there and get a very complicated message. You get a message that's straightforward, right from the Word of God. And it's there. And the message and the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding the people. 
and they throw in a, a joke once in a while, okay? And I know the Graham people said that Billy Graham had seven jokes that he would use over the 40 years. And he would put them in where he felt like putting them in. And the people that work with him wanted to laugh too. So what they would do is, if it was number seven, they'd go, seven, back and forth. And they would all be laughing at the same time that he brought it out. So, <clears throat> so when we get into chapter, uh, verse five here, we see the people of Nineveh now believe. They're taking it. And very quickly, uh, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a feast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter if you had the most money, dressed the best way, or if you were in poverty or whatever. And that's really what evangelism does. It reaches everybody no matter what level they're at, no matter where they are sinfully, no matter where they're at completely. The word repentance we don't find in this verse. But repentance is not really just a word, it's an action. It's an action that something that we do, something we take. Um, and this is the action then of a truck that repented. And in the meantime, Jonah is probably beside himself. It's like, man, I don't want this to happen. I don't want these people to be saved. So in verse 6, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is a way to proclaim mourning. This is the way it was used in the Bible. That's why they put sackcloth and sit in ashes. It's the, considered maybe the worst way they can sit, or worst way they can look, or worst way they can be. And this sackcloth, and we've seen uh, John the Baptist wore it, um, is a thick, coarse cloth. It's not comfortable. This shirt's comfortable. That's why I wear it, you know. It doesn't have briars inside beating me up. And normally made from goat's hair. And goat's hair is very itchy. It could drive you crazy. It symbolized the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasure to separate ourselves from them. And sackcloth and ashes were how people mourned the dead. If there was a death, this is the way people dressed. This is the way you did it. So they wanted to consider themselves dead to their sins. Okay? And then the Lord has some place to work. Then he comes in. And he gives them the message that they need to hear, which is hope and faith and love and, and grace. So verse 7, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water. So you wonder why they do the animals. It wasn't uncommon in those days and in that culture to include everyone in the acts of fasting and not drinking liquids, even the animals, you know, to make it look how bad it was, to uh, embellish it so that everybody kind of looked the same, even your pets, you know, even the cattle, even the sheep. In verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Violence is, a, is an awful thing. We're experiencing violence in this country right now at a level that we've never seen it before. The king and his nobles, the leaders. Now when you get the leaders on board, you know, people, everybody's there. It doesn't matter what your stature in life is or the place that you have. Um, 
they gave the proclamation. They sent it out, and they also participated in the repentance and even proclaimed, you know, that the animals must do it. So crying mightily to God is one of the three words, four words here in this uh, verse. It means coming to God with passion and seriousness. You come with that. I want to do it. I want to be there. I want this. I want salvation. I don't want to be who I am anymore. And it's all about your sin and your need for his mercy and grace. We all experience it. You know, I mean, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to us. The greatest decision ever made in your life is committing your life to Jesus Christ and become a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no greater decision. Everything else comes behind that. In verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent? This is what they're saying. The people are saying. And turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They're worried about this thing. They don't want to die. I wouldn't want to die. I wouldn't have want to have fire and come upon me or any of that. We never want to experience God's fierce anger. We see examples of it in the Bible. And here we are in this country. We live pretty well off. And we haven't seen anything like God's anger is going to be there. The path to forgiveness is to turn away from our sin and come before the Lord. And it takes humility and repentance. You have to come humble before the Lord. And for some of us, that's kind of tough to be humble. You know, um, thinking that we took care of ourselves. I'm an accomplished person. Look at the... um, Look at the house that I have. Look at the money I have in the bank. Excuse me for a second. So God is long-suffering, but he is firm and he's fair. He's fair to everyone. He loves us like no one else loves us. We as humans cannot measure the extent and distance God will travel with us in his forgiveness. We don't have the mind of God. We have a human mind. But God gives us these things to understand and to know through the power of his word and the word of God. And this is how we understand who God is and what we're supposed to do. But we know that his love never fails. God's love never fails. He's there in love continuously, no matter what it is. It's continuously there. And the two things that go along with his love are grace and mercy. We're looking at grace in, in uh, Galatians. It's, a, it's incredible. Never seen it this way before, of just how powerful it is and the way Paul explains it and the depth that it goes into and how he was explaining this to the Galatian people. But that message today is the same message that's there for us today. So in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said, and he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Their actions brought about change. But what was their change was the first change, and then God honored it, and he, he turned around and didn't destroy them. God honored the repentance of the people, even though their past sin was reason enough for an outpouring of judgment. These people were vile. They killed people in horrible ways. I'm not going to tell you how it is. It's so bad. Um, 
They, they sacrificed infants. They did all sorts of things. And you look at that and say, how could God forgive them? But God loves them in spite of who they are. The question we have here is, did God relenting make Jonah a false prophet? You know, he went in and said, hey, this is going to happen. Forty days. Forty is the number of judgment. Thirty-nine is the number of mercy. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, we know um, here that um, Jonah's not a false prophet because God can do anything that he wants. But in the future in Nineveh, we see in Jeremiah 18, 17, and 18, the Lord saw the uh, people in Nineveh at the moment Jonah was there of who they were and what they represented at that time. When we look in Jeremiah, he's looking at them in a different place. This is when um, he, he comes to destroy it 150 years later. The instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So that's why, you know, God has a choice. At the moment when Jonah was there, they repented and turned around. 150 years later, they did not. They were evil again. It wasn't the same people. They wouldn't be alive then. But eventually, and we see this in the book of Nahum, that he does destroy that city many, many generations later. So even though we make changes in our lives, we've got to just be careful that we don't fall back. You know, we have to concentrate. We can take um, and look at being overcoming certain things and sins in our life as success. But we also can understand that that's the very place that we could fall easily because we have the victory. So we've got to constantly be thinking over the years of, the Lord delivered me from this and I'll never go back. And eventually it'll go away. Eventually it, it departs. Um, so now let's, let's look at some of the lessons that we can take from the first three chapters of Jonah. I have about seven of them listed. Um, it doesn't matter how we resist uh, against God's will for our lives. He's a gracious God who is merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness. It doesn't matter what we did. It doesn't matter how hard we resist. God is there. All we've got to do is repent and come back. He's abundant in loving kindness. When a great storm comes in our life, and we all have great storms, God is in the storm. We just have to seek him out and find him in that storm. And I know I've heard uh, pastors say that over the years, and I've looked at it sometimes, and I still want to take it into my own hands. Well, God, let me help you out here. I know what's best for me. It's like, that's disaster. I can, I can verify that. The third, um, one of the, the third thing we can take from these chapters is God is sovereign as he employs his creation to accomplish his divine plan. It's all about God's plan and going ahead. As we see in the book of Jonah, he prepared things that you would never think of. He prepared a sea creature, a fish, to do his bidding. A vine to come up out of the ground is in chapter 4 to give shade to the guy that was angry, Jonah, in the hot sun. And, um, you know, it's a, and a worm. After Jonah got an attitude, he sends the worm in overnight, and the worm eats the vine. 
And that got Jonah a little bit angrier, you know. But God prepares things. He knows how to do it. He knows how to get our attention. We just have to listen and look and see. It might be even through the word of God. Pick up in a devotional in the morning say, oh, God's speaking to me right now about what's going on in my life. He's speaking to me about the things I've run away from or done or rebelled in. Um, God is in control. He is in the control of the destiny of nations as he rules in the kingdoms of men, and he rules them all just, justly. We look at the nation, our nation. Um, he's in control. No matter what happens, he's in control. President Trump is in the White House. A year from now, he might not be. But who's ever in there, he's in control. God is in control. Um, nation of Israel right now went through an election. Netanyahu, who I like very much. I think he's strong. He holds the line. They, make, they have these things going on behind that he's done this or that. They're doing the same thing to Trump because they're trying to discredit him. I don't know if what's going on with Netanyahu is true or not, but I know he's the best for that country right now because he's brought it along. He's strong. He's a hawk. These people have to be hawks because there's all these people, these vultures of nations that are ready to come in and destroy them. You learn that when you're a little kid in Israel. And then you join the army. You have to join the army at 18. Boys for two years and women for, for one year. So they understand what the repercussions are. They understand different things of what's going on. So um, mankind, the uh, sixth one, mankind is accountable to God as he looks down from heaven upon every aspect of the world, including the righteous things and the wicked things. You think God doesn't know everything that's going on? Look in Africa. That country is devastated. People come in to help them. Instead of helping them, they take their natural resources and leave them behind, worse than what they were before. Pastor Bill goes to Africa with the pastor from Calvary Alpine and others. But they have a different mission. They have a mission to go in and help. And they treat the people and they minister them through medicine and Bible studies and all that good stuff. But, um, but God knows the righteous and he knows the unrighteous. He knows the wicked. And he's in control. He has a plan. He's going to take care of it all. We just have to be patient and do the things that God has asked us to do in the meantime. And the last one is repentance requires change. Not just a sorrow for our sins. We can't be just sorrow for us. We've got to make a change. It, return, it requires a turning from our evil, disobedient ways. We have to turn about. You turn. You know, about face is the army word. About face, turn around. I want to see a difference. I want to see the change in you. And every one of us can do that. So I think, um, I think what I'll do is I'll just cover chapter 3 this morning because um, I want to close it with looking back at Second Chronicles. We won't go into chapter 4 this morning. Um, so let's look at Second Chronicles again if you want to open your Bibles to that. Um, chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to read it again. Uh, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven 
and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's an awesome verse. It was meant for the, the people that were part of Solomon. I believe this verse is meant for us today in every way possible. In Jonah 2, we saw, this is why I wanted to talk about it today, we saw Jonah pray and repent. In chapter 3, the incredible result of this is the evangelical message that he gave to the people of Nineveh. And when he went and repeached, uh, preached repentance, the whole nation repented. The whole nation. Wow. The message that God sent Noah to preach to that city was pretty successful. So I wonder why that can't happen to our country. Why, why we often ask ourselves questions such as, what has happened to our nation? Or what can happen to our nation to get back to worshiping and serving God? When the pilgrims came here in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and set up in Plymouth and Virginia and different places, Rhode Island, they were worshiping God. They, and these people were, were kind of, some of them were criminals that came over from England. They were, you know, just sent off. But what happened is they got back, they started out the right way. They eventually had a constitution written, the descendants of all these people. And in that, we can see God's hand tremendously. You know, and what does the country want to do? Change the constitution so you can do anything that you want. As long as we have the Constitution, we're strong. But as long as we have God as our God, we are even stronger. So how can we change the United States to place God before all things in this country? How can we do it? Everybody's busy. Everybody's got their own thing. You work or you got things that you do. Um, or can we turn around the acts that have been previously carried out? And this is what we're attempting to do now with the with the government that's in there now. We took prayer out of our schools. What do you think was going to happen in the schools after prayer went out? Violence. We see kids getting massacred, getting killed. Um, you know, legalizing abortion. Did it go out? No, okay. I thought it went out. Legalizing abortion. You know, and, and today it's even worse. It isn't just an infant in the womb today. There's laws in some states that after the baby is born, there's a time that these babies can be aborted. They're, they're people. That is murder. There's no doubt about it. Abortion is murder. But people are getting warm. They're forgetting about the morals. They're forgetting about the things. It's up to us Christians to remind them, and to be bold about it. And there was other grave rebellious acts as a nation that, where we rebelled against God could list them. So Second Chronicles, I think, has the answer, verses 7 through 14. So I'm going to read it one more time, and then I'm going to go uh, item by item through it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, you turn, from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's a promise by God. Every promise from God always comes true when he carries it out. So to kind of look at it, we as Christians are the my people of this verse. We're the my people. 
We are the followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we're following him, let's follow his word. Let's follow the path that he set out for each one of us. And let's do the things that we can do to focus on a way to pray and turn around this country. We're called by his name. What do we call ourselves? Christians. Second part of Jesus' name is Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Okay? So we're little people, little Christ, going out to do his will. And we can go anywhere. We can go to the park across the street. We can go in the hardware store. We can go to work. We can go in the schools. We need to get back in the schools. We need to turn it around. Years ago, remember there was Meet Me at the, at the Pole? Do you guys remember that? No? It was, I forget, back in the 70s, was it? Six, 80s, maybe? I know my kids were in grammar school. They were probably, probably the 80s. Um, those groups of Christians that would meet at the flagpole at least one morning a week, some every day. And they would go there and they would pray for every aspect of that school and the things that were going on. We didn't have the violence in the school in those days. It started after that. Once the state says, hey, bring God out of everything. Teachers can't have a Bible on their desk. You know, all this stuff. We need to turn it around. How are we going to do it? We need to seek the Lord. We need to pray. We need to pray specifically about things. Um, the fourth thing is, we need, our third thing is, we need to humble ourselves. That's what the Lord says in his verse. Humble ourselves. Be- become the servants of all. A lot of times I only serve people that I like or that I feel like serving. I don't want to serve that person. You know? That person is no worse than me. You know? And they need the Lord as much as anybody else does. And the Lord will give us ways to reach them. You know, how do we reach this generation? What is it called? The Y generation? The millennial generation is not really strongly Christian. We cannot lose another generation, you know, because things start to take place and move away further from God. The fourth thing is we need to seek his face, the Lord's face, and that's what he says. Seek my face in this verse. Um, see, face-to-face is the best form of communication. It's better than the phone, texting, see people in cars and everything, walking down the street, everybody's talking. A lot of stuff going on. But there is ways to text people verses. My grandsons or my granddaughter text them a verse. Ooh, thinking about you. My sons, my daughter-in-laws, my friends, my neighbors. You know, don't have to do it every day, but once in a while. And the people that live across the street that don't even know the Lord. You know, find out their phone number. Um, the best communication that we have with the Lord is prayer. And through that, the Lord will give us the ways that he wants us to communicate to others. The fifth thing in this verse is as Christian people and as a nation, we need to repent, turn around and start back in the right direction. And we're going to know we're in the right direction when we see change. So when we complete these five things that I just talked about that are in the verse, what will happen? Well, the Lord has that answer in the next three portions of that verse. 
Then God will hear from heaven. He will be listening. He's going to be listening to us. Prayer every day. Some people pray a long time. Some people pray short. In the book of uh, Nehemiah, when the Lord went before the king and he wanted to go back to Jerusalem to build the wall, he heard things. And he was the um, armor bearer of the, of the king. He tasted his food. He had to be happy around him all the time. And he heard back from his homeland that it was a disaster. Ezra went back and started rebuilding the temple and stuff like that. So when he heard those words, he was distraught. So he shows up in front of the king one day, and he looks bad. He's never looked bad before, probably. And the king says, what's wrong? But he prepared himself before he went, and he prayed. And he, and he told the king, um, my nation is in ruins. So the king um, listened. Nehemiah went away. He prayed again. And how long he prayed? He prayed for four months. Every day. And the change when he came back with the king was, let me give you horses. Let me give you supplies. Let me give you the wood. Let me give you the portion of my army to go back with you so you don't get killed. Awesome. God can do that for us in many ways. So the first thing is then God will hear from heaven. He'll be listening. Can't wait for that. You know, see what he's going to do. And we're only one church, one small church. Imagine if all the Christian churches in this country did it. It'd be awesome. And he will forgive our sins. Forgiveness only the Lord can give. Uh, it will enable us to stop quenching the Holy Spirit and allow us to be more effective in our serving the Lord, no matter what capacity. There's nothing small for God. Everything's there. Everything's important. Um, in the place where he has us called to serve and take away the impediment to our prayer life. And sin can be an impediment to our prayer life. kind of gets in the way. You've got to be conscious every day of saying, Lord, I'm sorry I did this. Please forgive me. And, and then the last one, the third things that he gave us the answer is, and the result, what does he say? He will heal our land. That's incredible. And we need healing. You know, as a nation, as a people, as a country. And if we did that and the Lord, and, if, and people turn their hearts and souls to the Lord, maybe that's why we're vague in, the, uh, in Revelation. It doesn't say United States in there, per se. You know, it would be great if it happened before the rapture, because this country would be gone. But the, but the example of us, we still are the most powerful nation on the world in the world. We still have the greatest creativity and build the greatest products and stuff, but there's people catching up. China's right on our heels. Russia's not far off. But we would be a great example of how God, of how we and people could be for the rest of the world. And that would change many, many, many things. And we saw in the verses that we studied in Jonah today, when the Lord looked down on Nineveh before he judged them, through prayer and repentance, he repented on his way to destroy that country. So that's an encouragement for us. So why don't we close in prayer? Um, Kim, Kim is not feeling well this morning. So pray for her now. She won't be back up here to, to play a worship song or two for us now. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We just pray for Kim and hope that she's okay, Lord, that you would minister to her today, Lord, and give her comfort and just give her rest, Lord. She needs rest probably. And uh, just bless her day. Bless the Botkers and Kelly's day, Lord, abundantly. You've already done it with this little one that's come into this world. And for all of us here today, Lord, we pray to pray to you, Lord, on a daily basis. We, we pray to come before you. We pray to ask you for the things that this nation needs and, and the things that we need to, to do and get through each day. So we know that you are the only one true God. We know that you have the answers for everything. So we give you the, the praise, the glory, and the honor today. In Jesus' name, amen.